0: Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at makubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Megan Stranger, your host, and it's my honor to be joined today by Greg Samuel. Vice President for Finance and Administration and Chief Financial Officer at Grand Valley State University in Michigan. Welcome, Greg.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Greg, it's a brand new year, thankfully. And with that, we'd like to reflect a little bit on the past year a bit. So if you could go back to this time last year and teach yourself one thing, knowing everything that happened in 2020, what would it be?
1: It would clearly be uh, take a refresher in crisis communications. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, at, at Grand Valley State University, in addition to being you know, uh, vice president for finance and administration, responsibility for everything from human resources to facilities to finance. And um, I also became the head of what we call our virus action team. I was the director for that. So I had a team of about 12 experts oh, and we pretty much managed the entire university response and we continue to do so to COVID-19. Um, so, the, you know, everything from setting up a testing program to, uh, you know, dealing with isolation and quarantine, weekly meetings, daily meetings with the local county health departments. I spent a lot of time giving interviews on, on various media outlets. So uh, I, knowing that, I certainly would have taken a refresher class in crisis communications.
0: That is an excellent answer. And I love that. Yeah, it sounds like you had just a few things on your plate since you were leading the entire charge at the university. Well, what would you say just when you look back over the pandemic, let's say, what's one noticeable way that you've changed how you lead as a CBO? And that could be having to do with this crisis team, or it could be just in your daily
1: role. Sure. Uh, You know, I've always been kind of a hands-off manager in a sense that, you know, Higher quality people, give them some direction and just let them go out and do their job. And I really see my role is to break down barriers, you know, when they get to a point where they can't go any further for whatever reason, you know, d- either make the connection for them, you know, talk to another vice president or something like that. I really see that as my role. So I was very fortunate in a sense that, you know, I've always had kind of that distributed leadership approach. And so when we ha- went fully remote uh during the you know quarantine and everything you know people already had that mentality that they just got got work done got the job done you know and they would let me know if they needed to let me know so i was fortunate in that regard but what it did do is it forced me you know i i i you know like to walk around you know short quick meetings you know pop in on somebody's solve a problem you know i would i've never been a big fan of long structured meetings and so, you know, a lot of phone calls and a lot of, you know, like a quick 15-minute Zoom kind of thing. So I had to really kind of force myself to set those up in advance because you can't, you know, it's, you know, a Zoom, you got to plan it a little more than just, you know, giving somebody a call or popping into their office or something like that. So it sort of forced me to think a little farther in advance to get those kinds of meetings on the calendar so that they can happen. And then I also found that... um you know, I have seven direct reports in, in a number of different, like I said, you know, everything from facilities to HR to the athletic director. And so what I found was really beneficial is I we, I would get the whole team together, you know, weekly. And we would just talk about the three or four things that are top of mind for all of us, you know, so because we're all mutually supporting. And so I found that that really helped Um to do that a lot more frequently in the past. We had all, only done that every couple of weeks, but I found doing that weekly really kept everybody on the same page.
0: Now are those things you're going to keep moving forward, even when you're able to go back to your previous ways of popping in on people and, and the like.
1: I think so. I, I definitely think the uh, getting everybody together on a much more frequent basis. And and these are, you know, really by design, these are short meetings, 30 minute meetings, you know, what are your top three, uh, issues that you're dealing with today kind of thing and and so they're really not they're not onerous and and I probably will still do those on zoom um, you know because a large campus we have twenty five thousand students um, you know to have that meeting, We used to have face to face. I've got people coming from all over the place to that meeting. And so, you know, I I think I will still have that meeting even when we go back to normal. um, I will still have that meeting on Zoom, you know, just for a quick half hour kind of thing, um, because I I think we got a lot out of it. And, uh, you know, when you eliminate the travel for a number of people, you know, to and from the particular building on campus, I, I think that that'll be something that I'll continue.
0: And it probably brought you closer together as a team as well to support one another in that way a little bit more regularly and hear up close and personal what was happening with each of those people and allow them to do that with one another as well.
1: Sure thing, absolutely, because it's you know it helps them get out of their kind of their own silo, if you will, to understand it, you know how how everything's connected.
0: So maybe you can you can answer this question thinking back, kind of on your on your career, but maybe specifically with the pandemic as well. Um, you know, current CBOs are worried and concerned and focused on developing the next generation of CBO leadership, um, and there's also a growing desire to diversify the field a bit. So, is 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 that something you're thinking about? How do you think CBOs can best do that?
1: Well, I think uh, you know probably the best way to to develop you know, the, the future CBO is uh, we've got to get people kind of out of a specialty, um, you know, because if you think about, like and I hope I'm not sounding redundant, but, you know, as vice president of finance and administration, obviously I've got the finance, the budget, the bill paying, you know, all that, but I've also got HR, I've got the athletic director, I've got facilities, I've got, I have construction and so I, I think probably the best way to to develop the next CBO that can have oversight of a large portfolio like that is you've got to do a little bit more rotational kind of experience. Um, you know someone who's who's come up through the budget and finance realm, have them go spend six months uh, shadowing the VP for AVP for facilities, kind of thing, or a month doing that, or you know, and and rotate them through the entire portfolio because it's, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, my I, I was very fortunate in my career before higher ed. I, I had a lot of experience in in both finance, but I also had I also spent three year two years doing HR, and so you know, so I had that kind of background because I I think about. You know, someone who is a who is uber talented in a very in a specialty like finance to get into the the CBO role where you may also have oversight of HR, you've got to have at least some sort of background. You can't kind of learn that on the fly. Um, so I think providing that opportunity is sort of a professional executive development program, whether it's formalized at your university or not. Um, have them get those shadowing experiences, uh, you know, before they're at that AVP level, you know, when they're at that director level, you know, bounce them around the organization and not just within the CBO uh, portfolio, but also, you know, have them work out something where they can, you know, shadow, a, you know, someone in the provost office for a week or something like that. So I think that's really the key to developing that, that broad perspective that I think the, the CBO really needs to bring to that executive decision making table.
0: That sounds like a great idea, Greg. I think you should do that and then pilot it for the whole country and come up with a model. We'll have you back on the podcast to talk about it.
1: All right. Sounds great.
0: I'm sure you don't have anything else on your to-do list, so just add that one.
1: Too. Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, well, you just talked a lot about different um, exposure to different functional areas. But in thinking about um, skills and attributes that people need to be a successful CBO, um, I'd ask you to address our listeners maybe that are considering CBO as a career move. What would you say are those top three things that are crucial for CBOs today and in given the landscape and everything that's happening and everything that you know in your experience?
1: Well, I think probably the, the most important thing is... Um... Obviously communication you got to have good communication skills it doesn't matter how good your ideas are if you can't get them across um, you, you're never gonna never going to help drive the organization forward but I think probably the one of the big skills is that uh, you got to be able to it's what I would call decision making in ambiguity or uncertainty or then incomplete information um, you you can't get to a hundred percent certainty um, because we need to make, sometimes we need to make decisions now, you know, we may only have 50 or 70% of what we need to make those kinds of decisions. So I think that that's really key is to be able to enter that area where it's, it's uncomfortable to have to make a decision where you don't know everything. And and that's something that I've really found uh, my experience doing, working with the virus action team is, you know, you work with the best information you have, you make a decision, you get, you talk to experts, but you're never going to know everything, and so you can't l- let that handcuff you when you need to make a decision, um, because you can get overwhelmed and you can you can get behind the eight ball. So I think that that's important: is to to understand what you know, uh, where you can get the information, and doing the best you can with what you have, and then the, I think the third thing as a CBO is we. To that senior level decision making, the president, whether you call it the senior leadership team, the cabinet, or whatever at your particular university, I think it's important to always provide options. You know, there's option A, there's option B, there's option C kind of thing, and and to show what the pros and the cons are. You know, what are the trade offs with each of those options? And and so that everybody is on, um, understands the the pros and the cons and, and can make the best. Collaborative decision for the entire organization moving forward. I think a you know a a CBO that says you know the the only option is to is to go to the bond market. Um, you know I, I think you you're limiting the decision making for the for the president or the chancellor when, when you know maybe one of the options is a private uh, public private partnership. And so I think that you've got to lay it all out on the table and obviously make a recommendation as the CBO, but but. Let you know make sure you don't handcuff the deci- the the real decision maker um, of the organization.
0: When it comes to that second attribute that you mentioned in terms of making decisions in the face of ambiguity, outside of living through something like that, are there ways you can think of or that you've maybe developed that skill because that strikes me as more of a confidence piece than an actual you know something you could train for specifically.
1: Yeah, that, that that that's an excellent point. I mean, um, it's I, I think it's understanding when you have enough information to move forward, and and again, it's and I think that that's you got to rely on the experts, and and you know those experts can be both inside your organization and outside your organization, um, and, and to get those and and peers at, at other institutions and, and just understand when you have enough to move forward, because that's, that's one of the things, you know, the, the environment of higher education, you know, the challenges it's a very dynamic period right now. And, and sometimes it it's, I, I really think that, you know, with the best information you have moving forward and understand, and, and at the same time, I think you've got to be able to understand when you can, you know, can change your mind. You know, you, you made the best decision you can with the information you had, um, you know, for instance, uh, an example might be you know maybe uh, the, the calendar needs to change. Um, uh, to to compress scheduling, for instance, um, and you you make that decision with that uh, with the information you have because you're working with the health department for instance, and and how to compress that that calendar the best you can. but then maybe you need to compress it even further. A couple of weeks later, when uh, when you get further information or, or it, it, maintaining that flexibility, you know, one of the things that I when I was when I was on the virus action team is we would get a lot of direction whether it was from the health department or from the governor with executive orders and things like that related to various stages of of quarantine or uh, you know stay at home orders and things like that, and so obviously you got to communicate that, you know, this is the existing order and then also got to play out. All right. What is it going to look like at the end of that order? The order expires in two weeks. How do we emerge from that order? And you provide those kinds of options, but I would always say, you know, assuming no change to the governor, you know, the governor's executive order, this, we could do a, B or C and, and understand. So we would be, Obviously, you got to plan for A, B, or C. You make the decision we're going to do A, and you start planning for that. But then, in two weeks, governor's orders might change, or the executive order might change, or the health department guidance might change, and, and you got to remind people. Remember, I said assuming there was no change. Well, there's been a change, so not, now we got to be ready to implement B. So I think that that's that's just kind of that example of, of having that flexibility and understanding that you're never going to know everything because because everybody, you know, everybody wants to know how it affects them 6 months from now kind of thing and and sometimes you just don't know that but and if you if you wait to get there um then there's no time left to to prepare for it.
0: and that also layers back into your first skill, which is communication. So if you're saying these things and not communicating all of those, I mean, maybe not all of them, but the important parts of the variables around how things might be changing, then you can find yourself in hot water two weeks from now when something changes. If you don't say, given, you know, given the existing orders and what we know now, that said, this could change. So having that communication piece is important as well. So sounds like yours all just kind of layer into one another, which is fantastic. I would love to ask you the question that people love to answer on this show, which is thinking back on your career, Greg, would you tell us what you consider to be your most fabulous failure and what you learned from it? And here we're not looking to set you up to tell us how terrible you are, but just something that maybe you learned in hindsight that somebody could potentially avoid by hearing
1: your experience. Sure. I, I would think it, it actually was pretty recent for me in a sense that, um, you know, in Michigan, or we deal with the weather, inclement weather, and, and we had uh we you know we have a plan for if we have to cancel classes because of weather. Well, one of the things that we learned for the past year is we can shift to remote. And uh maybe we don't have to cancel classes for weather anymore. Now obviously not everybody can shift on a dime, depending on the nature of the of the the pedagogy that's in place, can, can shift on a dime overnight to suddenly go from face to face to to remote but many can. And and so taking the approach of you know we if if we just instead of closing the campus when it snows we just announce that we're shifting to remote we can probably still continue 60 70 80% of our instruction which is better than zero. And and so you worked across the campus we had a good plan you know at that vice president level those, those discussions our senior leadership team and and we were ready to go and we had the plan. And so we made the change to the policy and then it was time to communicate that policy. And, and I learned that, you know, because with HR, we had to provide some guidance to HR, you know, how you would code, you know, different people's time cards for those that couldn't shift to remote, you know, say they don't have a laptop, you know, they just have a desktop and so they may not be able to shift to remote. So. You know, we went out with this. What I thought, you know, very clear guidance on how we would handle all these kinds of things, and you know, working together, and and of course, we bargaining groups and things like that. And then it, and then you could tell from the feedback that this was the first anybody had heard about the change. And it was, you know, we were explaining how to implement the change from a very mechanical standpoint, mm. as opposed to what was behind the philosophy. And that, and that, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, I take that on on the chin, you know, per for me, because I, I sort of thought that the word was going to get out at a different, you know, because I uh, I was having discussions with my, you know, those weekly meetings that I'm having with the uh, people of finance and administration. This is what we're looking at. How does it look for you? How does it not look for you? You know, these are the kinds of things you need to be thinking about. And it's clear that wasn't happening across the wider university based on the, you know, the, the questions we were getting and the, excitement that was behind some of those questions. <laughs> and so it was, uh, so that was like a, you know, that was one of those, Oh, okay. Next time I got to make sure. All right. Has everybody told everybody <laughs> you mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe work with, uh, or university communications for, uh, you know, a more public, um, uh, just dis- district distribution of the change. So, mm-hmm. so that was, that was just one of, you know, I learned that, you know, again, you know, my style with my team is, they know everything that's going on. You know, I'm always getting their feedback, but that, that that's not how everybody leads their their individual organizations. And so so understanding that and getting better con- confirmation up front be- before going out with, you know, very mechanical, uh, you know, how to implement something, which for, I, for many people, this is a very, very big change, you know, to not mm. have a snow day anymore is, yeah. a, is a huge deal. Lots,
0: lots of students don't love that idea, Greg. <laughs>
1: that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you for sharing that story. And uh, it does let her right back into your first point about top skills, which is communication. So it's great to know that, you know, sometimes you it's a, it's a work in progress and you are always learning and always evolving. So we appreciate that. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing just a few of your insights and experiences with our listeners today, Greg.
1: No, oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You can find out more about Greg and today's episode by visiting the professional development section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so you'll get the latest episodes instantly. Also, be sure to check out Nakubo's State of Higher Education series. It includes briefs, customizable slide decks, and data on the current higher education landscape. These resources are specially designed to facilitate discussions around the value of higher education through a COVID-19 lens, the need to address racial disparities in U.S. higher education, and more. To see what's available, visit nukubo.org, click resources, and then click State of Higher Education under Advocacy.